I want to say one thing starting out the show. Hello. Hi. How are you? This is pre-show, Josh. Welcome. I'm not an expert. I've never gone to school for this shit. I just like to read books. If I'm wrong about this stuff, please be nice. All right? If I use the wrong language, correct me. Critique me. Question me. And comment on it. But please recognize I'm learning right along with you. I'm a stupid, goofy, little uh, dumb boy who likes to try to solve that by reading and learning and trying to put these ideas out there for others. So I want to be just as correct as you want me to be correct. So please never hesitate to correct me, but please feel free to do it in a way that humanizes me because I am a human being. I have feelings, feelings that get hurt very easily. Not that you need to care about that or that you will. Just saying. Anyways, folks, I hope you're well. I hope you have a happy holidays. Please enjoy the show. Note a few things off the top. One, uh, this is a 101 episode. We have so much more to cover. I couldn't get into everything. If I didn't hit a certain point you wanted to hear or, you know, see a conclusion all the way through to its logical ending, I apologize. I hope to be talking about this more. Send me an email to note it, and I'll make sure to cover it in the next episodes. Stay safe, folks, and enjoy the episode. Without further ado, here is uh, Show Josh. How you doing, folks? Welcome back to yet another episode of In Defense of Liberation, the show that is working towards and educating about a true people's liberation movement and one day soon a true proletarian revolution. But until that day comes, I am your host, Josh. And I'd like to say thank you so much for stopping by. I uh, just actually am leaving work now. (coughs) And uh, boy, did I have an experience. Um, I had a person come in who felt that it was uh, uh, not necessary that they wear a mask. And there was four customers plus myself and two co-workers within my store. And so, you know, I asked him, please either grab a mask or go out through the drive-thru. He continued on talking from across the store. It's not a very big store. And uh, just going on and on about how it's all bullshit, how he wasn't going to listen to me anyways, about how he wishes someone would do something. He's got his mask off again at this point, of course. So I just asked him to leave. And holy shit, man, I have never seen someone get so angry in a moment he just fucking starts screaming at me starts screaming at my co-workers about how you gonna let this guy talk to me and I go dude you're a fully grown adult like I said you're a fully grown adult why are you acting like this and he goes oh how old are you like that matters so I tell him and he goes oh see you're not even a fully grown adult what are you doing talking to a fully grown adult like that And then at this point, other customers in the store are joining in. Like, one guy turns around and he goes, well, I'm a fully grown adult. And if you don't shut the fuck up, we're going to have a problem. And, of course, you know, that made the situation ten times greater. And as much as I would have loved to see this guy beat the living shit out of this dude, it it was just such a tense uh, uh, situation. And it just reminded me of, you know, how important the... uh, true like active and practical participation in changing material reality really is because that is the material reality myself 
and my two co-workers just got to be traumatized in. And that's been going on now for two years, plus, you know, other things that retail workers have to be uh, awfully uh, treated as. And uh, I don't know, man, it just really struck struck a chord with me because, uh, first of all, it's five minutes before I'm supposed to leave. So that's cool. I'm in the middle of cleaning, trying to do the schedule that I got to send over. And this happens, you know, so I'm just a little worked up. I wanted to lead the conversation with that because I might be a little, you know, jumbly brained. Although I hope not to ramble. I straight up plotted this whole episode out. So this should be a pretty good episode. But uh, I just wanted to start off with that and a few other things right off the top. So um, we're going to be talking about in this episode the development uh, out of a more matriarchal society into what we now have, which is a patriarchal society. So we are going to be talking about a few different things which I feel need to be uh, met with some clarification at the top. First and foremost, we're going to be talking about the distinction between uh, sex Um, male and female. And I would like to say that although this split into this binary is obviously, as we understand now, not necessarily as scientifically upheld as it was when uh, Engels and others uh, were writing about it, we're going to be, you know, using the origin of the family, private property, and the state as the basis to a lot of this discussion. And so we must understand that, unfortunately, because of this, uh, there is this, you know, language that is used, male, female. Um, I'm going to try my best to use proper language. Um, I'm using quotes. I'm using, you know, jotted down notes. And again, this is the terminology which is used. So I really do apologize because I I try my best to not do this. I really, uh, you know, I I really hate when uh, folks don't take the, the just the moment to think while they're speaking about what they're saying, because that's all that takes pronouns and the difficulty that people seem to find with that. That's honestly, in a lot of cases, that's chosen. You know, I understand some languages, they don't have this, you know, concept of, uh, you know, non-binary or gender fluidity, etc. But it's not impossible. Um, The language is developing as we speak. The movement is developing as we speak. And so the least that we can do is play our part and speak out on that because I do think it is important. So when I'm speaking about those who give birth... And those that are oftentimes referred to as women in the society, I will either use, depending on the circumstance, the term women, non-men, or those with uteruses or those who give birth. Uh, for men, I'm going to use men, I'm going to use non-women, and I'm going to use those that do not give birth, those who do not have uteruses. So I hope this language is uh, understandable and I hope you understand why it is important that we use this language. The second thing I want to clarify, it's a bit more broad. So I'm not going to be able to go in-depth as I would like because I just plainly don't have the time. But history develops in a certain way, right? And we might consider that way dialectical. 
Ultimately, what that means is things develop not individually or in a vacuum, but in fact, in relation to the other things around it. Um, Some things that it might relate to are, in fact, uh, observable within the material reality. We have the economic base, and then we have the political, social, and other superstructures which also exist within every given society. So because of this, all of those interrelations cause that society to develop a certain way. Now, as we once know, because there is, you know, so much proof for this to be understood, society was not always split into haves and have-nots. We had a period of time in early human history of what we might call early communalism. A period in time of which classes were not the distinct barrier between those who had what they needed to survive and those who didn't. That's not necessarily saying these societies were equal, but they were egalitarian in nature. And this was mostly because, plain and simple, that was the only way they could survive. That was a response from the material reality which led to society developing a certain way, which was, you know, in a communal or, uh, you know, large uh, group style in order for really plainly, you know, you got to figure defense, you're out in the wild, you got to figure labor, the ability to, you know, hunt, gather, etc. And other things which led to an early communalistic society. And now, as society has developed, as contradictions, which have always existed, have come to the fore, have intensified, have ebbed and flowed, have come into contact with one another, and have led to their antagonism, you have seen the development of what we now call class society, which is a society wherein it is split between those who have and those who have not. And this is ultimately determined by the ruling class nature of an individual or not whether and this is ultimately determined by whether or not they have ownership of the means of production which we might consider labor forces uh resources land tools technology uh today we might consider it factories transportation etc and ownership over the means of, of uh, subsistence, which, you know, we might consider food, water, shelter, etc. To be a class society meant that these things that people require to survive are only given to a certain amount of people. And that certain amount of people uses the structure or foundation of that society to further perpetuate its own rule through the use of what we might call the state which is an apparatus of oppression of one class by another. It's the organized violence of the class in power, which is used to dominate, repress, suppress, and exploit the masses or the majority of those who are oppressed, exploited themselves. So these are the few kind of things I want to clarify up top. Again, I'm sorry I can't give too much more time to any of them. The last thing I really wanted to hit on is the fact that, um, oh, what does this say here? Fuck, I'm trying to read this shit. Okay, so we're going to be talking about the development of society, right? And this doesn't just happen out of ideas. We are not idealists. We are Marxists. Marxists are materialists. 
materialists understand that society develops and things change, relationships are had, contradictions come to the fore, intensify, and dissipate because of a material reality. Now, this material reality, ultimately, as we get to a certain point in class society, has a legal, social, political, and economic structure which upholds a certain status quo or a certain societal norm, value, etc., such as capitalism, such as imperialism, such as patriarchy, or matriarchy, right? So there's this quote here that I want to put out, and then we're going to say this little thing about political economy, and then we're going to fucking get into the episode, because we're already 11 minutes deep. So, there's this quote about political economy, it's kind of like a... um, uh, what do I want to call it? A paraphrase because it's not a direct quote. It's from Allison on the Red Menace, I believe. Uh, and she says, political economy is economics when people understood that politics was not, in fact, separate nor could be separated from economics. Nowadays, we have economics, but back in the 1800s, you would have had it called political economy because those who called themselves political economists or studied political economy understood that, in fact, economics and politics cannot be separated. They are interrelated. They have a dialectical relationship which leads to the development of both in a social uh, setting, right? So now that we got that all covered, let's start at the very tippity top. What is matriarchy? Understanding language is very important, right? So matriarchy ultimately is a system wherein society is structured by, uh, this is a paraphrase here, society is structured by, right, it is uh, uh, dominantly ruled over by, and lineage can be traced through the mother or, uh, you know, the folks with uteruses side. That's a matriarchy. Now, some forms of that look very different in many different places all over the world. If you want more information about that, um, you can read The Origin of the Family, Private Property, and the State. Or I'm sure that there are also plenty of other works by indigenous creators, which I hope to be able to find myself, that are able to speak to their own history. uh, Or historical examples about, say, you know, Celtic or Aboriginal societies, whether we're talking about uh, Maori in New Zealand or any, uh, you know, peoples of the Middle East, whether we're talking about Slavs uh, or African folks, whether we're talking about folks in Latin America, Greece, or Rome, all of these societies developed differently and had different forms of rule. And this is true also in the periods in which matriarchy was dominant over the kind of planet, you know, as much as we can generalize in that way. And all of those systems looked a little bit differently. But basically, it was structured like uh, that, where, uh, you know, those who gave birth um, and uh, were ultimately the ones who served as those predominant roles in society. I think we can think of two very simplistic materialist bases. First and foremost, 
those who give birth are able to reproduce the people and the population within a given society. The second materialist base as to why that is is because since that is true, they also tend to be able to help others to do that. Therefore, in one way or another, being able to guarantee the continuation of the species. They also, because of this, were able to play quite crucial roles of caretakers, whether that be of the young, the adolescent, or the elderly. Oftentimes, those who gave birth, what we might, you know, oftentimes call women, served these roles. This was the, uh, you know, I, I don't want to say traditional in a negative sense, but traditional as that is historically how it, it, it oftentimes went. So, at a period in time in which, you know, you were going to have food, you were going to have clothing and everything because of stuff that you could, you know, uh, tend to, whether that be a herd or uh, if you got your food through hunting and gathering, because uh, those who were giving birth were oftentimes serving the roles that they were, the roles for hunting for uh, agriculture, and also, let us not forget, the keeping of slaves at a certain period of time in the development of human history also fell on to the men uh, or those who did not give birth because, at this point, slaves, as, you know, was true in many nations, including uh, the U.S., were seen as non-human animalistic types. And so therefore, because the men were also often the pastoral keepers of herds, they were the keepers of enslaved people or what uh, Engels calls in uh, the origin of the private property uh, or the origin of the family private property in the state, unfree persons. Uh, So that's what I'll be referring to them as from this point forward. So this is kind of the materialist basis that we get to because of the already existing contradictions, relations, and uh, uh, realities within the society and how they developed forward. So at a certain point in time when matriarchy was the dominant mode of production, this was so in uh, social code, in tradition, Uh, And in some also, I would assume, traditional religions and uh, educational theories and ideas, as well as just social structures, right? But this all began to change as these contradictions came to the fore. We now saw the overwhelming majority of societies switch from a, what we might call, traditional... uh, society into one that was kept through written history, through law, legal code, and jurisprudence, through strict religious uh, control, through economic exploitation, and through political domination. Think about this. In some of the earliest slave societies, in Rome, in Greece, in a lot of these places, it was not the women who had political rights. It was not folks who gave birth, who were in representative positions, whether it be in this or that form of government. They also were incapable of being allowed, in a lot of cases, to participate 
within those political systems come the early slave societies. But during the early uh, agricultural societies before slave labor took over, of course we know the matriarchs were the ones that made the predominantly dominant uh, decision-making. They were the ones who decided when to move. They were the ones who decided when to make allegiances. They were the ones who decided when, uh, you know, mm, uh, altercations within communities had, you know, come to a a conclusion and what that conclusion was and how the punishment would be had. Uh, They were the ones who decided when, in fact, uh, a uh, in a relationship was over in most indigenous societies, even still to this day, in a lot of cases where uh, traditional uh, structures are able to be upheld, um, the uh, folks who give birth they're the ones who throw uh, those who do not give birth out for you know divorces and stuff like that. And they, at you know, a lot of different points in time in history didn't even need to give a warning if and ever you know a man uh went against what those in the household wanted especially the matriarch they could just simply be removed and since oftentimes again the family the community the society was able to be upheld through the mother's lineage because of course you can always trace in a lot simpler way who gave birth to you rather than whose sperm it was that matched with an egg in order to uh, cause gestation and uh, conception and lead towards the uh, impregnation of the person who gave birth to you and your subsequent birth. So, you know, up until a certain point, the lineage was traced through the mother or the women or those who gave birth's side. Because of this, when a man was thrown out they weren't necessarily accepted into that community. Now, they might marry another. They might find housing in that community. But they might also just be completely removed because those children, right, that they might have had, their right, their inheritance, their, their tradition, their power, their lineage is traced through the person who gave birth to them, not their father, not the men. This changed come early slave societies. So this is one thing that Engels makes very clear in, you know, his work that I think it's really crucial we understand, which is when these material realities exist, they exist because of a long-standing development from one point to another. So when this change happens, when we look at slave societies and we see that this law is different, it's important to recognize this because that means that things had changed, right? And when we understand the language, the law, the religious traditions all had changed, those aren't just ideas of individual bad apples. Those aren't just problems that are based on this or that, you know, group or this or that small uh, organization of people that are doing things poorly or abusing people uh, abhorrently. But in fact, it is an entire system, what we might call the mode of production, the, uh, you know, ultimately the, the lineage and the structure of a family is quite important to the order of a society. I can't uh, conclusively say this, but I believe the reason that we refer to things as a uh, nuclear family is because ultimately that family uh, is in and of itself a nucleus of the remaining society as a whole. Marx puts out a quote in the origin of the family, private property, and the state, where he says, quote, 
the modern family, and of course this is when he's speaking, but it's also true at any given point in society, quote, the modern family contains in germ not only slavery, servitus, but also serfdom. Since from the beginning it is related to agricultural services, it contains in miniature all the contradictions which later extend throughout society and its state. So the family that exists in a early agricultural society is the nucleus of that society and therefore is structured a certain way. That's why you have different kinship relations, different group marriages, such as, you know, there's all kinds of variations, but there's even intervariations like what was in existence in some uh, Slavic regions where you would have the male uh, dominant patriarch who would take a dominant... Uh, I wouldn't necessarily call them a matriarch, but the dominant domestic servant of the collective wives and live with his children uh, within the same home. They would share wives in uh, you know, common, except for the fact that no one except for the patriarch got to share his wife, right? And uh, also, the, for example, the labor the herding of the cattle, the keeping of the slaves, all of that was for ultimately the benefit of the main patriarch because he held the law in his hand. That nucleus develops further and further out and it becomes, you know, this important focus on private property, the ownership of the herds, the ownership of the slaves, the ownership of the tools of farming, of, you know, hunting, etc. The tools that Uh, Those who gave birth kept household tools, clothing, uh, possibly shelter, given the period in time we're discussing. That was inherited by their children. Whereas once we switch to a uh, mode of production where uh, those who don't give birth are the ones tending to the land, tending to the uh, unfree people, tending to the uh, uh, hunting, the tools by which are necessary to use are passed down to the other folks who do not uh, give birth in that society, of course, because they're the ones who will be using them. So therefore, we begin to see this development of almost an economy, not in the capitalistic sense as we might understand it, but it is a political economy. In fact, it is the structure, the political and economic structure of that society developing in germ through the reproduction of that society, each consecutive, you know, generation receiving these tools, which eventually become more and more important as agriculture, as domestication of herds, as uh, keeping slaves and of the, uh, you know, domination of the patriarch over those who give birth within society. As these things advance forward, of course, the tools by which keep those things going become that much more important. So in this sense, right, we have to remember that a certain tradition becomes superseded by law. You begin to see churches and governments and local communities passing uh, laws, uh, developing uh, origin stories in some senses of, you know, why those laws are important that ultimately show the very material basis to this switch from matriarchy to patriarchy. But most importantly, we also must understand that 
this system developed through an active conscious role by the men, those who did not give birth within society, to continue this development into a patriarchal one. You know, soon uh, men began to uh, be able to have women or those who gave birth as domestic slaves, rather than these folks the matriarchs being the dominant ones within society, you now began to see the formation of what we might call the modern family. Now, it is important to note here, and I will say this quickly because I'm running out of time, that the term family in its original sense in the Roman ultimately had absolutely nothing to do with a a man and a wife, a child, and a, a nice household, right? Kept to themselves... Uh, full of love and and, and care and and blood relation. Now, in fact, the term family, right, comes from the term familia, right? So familia finds some, in some case, a similar root origin in the word famulus, which is F-A-M-U-L-U-S, which means domestic slave or servant. Familia, in the Roman sense of the word, is the total amount of slaves held in common by one man. That is a direct quote from the origin of the family private property in the state. Now, if you want to check angles on his work, go for it. But that's where I'm getting my information. So, of course, the church, all the different social, political, and economic structures that exist, they're going to capture on this development. They're going to capitalize on this, and they're going to use it to further perpetuate themselves. Um, There's a lot I want to get into here, but this is really just a 101 uh, episode. And again, as I said, I'm running out of time. So I want to say a few things before I go to really wrap us up. So as we know, the development out of matriarchy has a few different root causes. One, the economic base, which begins to develop through the domestication of herds, agriculture, and the eventual domestication of enslavement of both those who give birth and of unfree persons. The superstructures which develop out of that, the political structure, the social traditions, the religious ideas, the uh, community structures, all of this comes from the economic base. We must understand this because this is how we as Marxists understand the development of history in general, that we find in its origin where and why things change from the mode of production and reproduction. How does this happen? Through conscious and practical development out of matriarchy. Over time, it takes countless years, but there are different things such as legal code through physical acts of aggression, religious changes and developments, economic development, um, knowledge. You know, if you don't know necessarily where the food is, you don't know how to fish, you don't know how to grow food, you don't know how to keep, you know, the slaves from running away, etc., you might not be able to feed yourself and keep your community alive. So now these people have an important role in society. So that has another form of a material basis, and it's a conscious one. 
there is uh, dialectical societal development. Again, all of these things are interrelated. How they interrelate and how they contradict one another is really what leads to the different developments here, there, and everywhere. It's the reason why these societies during their matriarchal and patriarchal uh, periods look different in Australia than they do in New Zealand, look different in New Zealand than they do in Afghanistan, look different in Afghanistan than they did in Russia, look different in Russia than they did on Turtle Island, or in South America, or in Africa, or in Europe, in the Celtic, the German, and the other original settlements and societies and civilizations. The contradiction also between reality and the interpreted tradition or ideal is important to note here, because ultimately, as we know, the society beforehand was traditionally a matriarchal one. So how is it that the reality is not? That contradiction is important to study, and that's how we begin to see the material bases and how they develop society a certain way. That's how we begin to understand how dialectics develops, how society changes, how the economic base impacts the other superstructures, etc. And also, it, it shows and proves how politics and economics cannot be separated, how the study of political economy must be done in su- such a sense. Otherwise, you know, ultimately we, we miss out on a lot of understanding. The last few things I want to just say is the development of a class society and the domestication of the family is really where capitalism is able to have a root to grow into. And then capitalism itself, obviously, uh, is a uh, specific development that wasn't necessarily right then and there with these other developments, but in fact, again, had a material base to develop on and an economic one as well to capitalize upon. So patriarchy ultimately is defined, according to Google, as a system or society in which the father or eldest male is head of the family and lineage is traced and decided through his line. We live in a patriarchal society. That does not just mean that a bunch of men got together and decided we're better and everybody believes it. And it's just this grand idea that nobody's questioning. Patriarchy is upheld through mass murder of those who give birth through the domestic servanthood and enslavement of those who give birth and those they give birth to, right? Obviously, at one point, having children was because then you needed hands on your farm. You needed hands to keep the slaves. You needed hands to keep the herds. So then the children because become the slaves just as much as the slaves are, just as much as the one who's giving birth is, right? Patriarchy is upheld today through militarism. It's upheld through law. It's upheld through religious uh, um, how do I want to say it? It's upheld through religion. It's upheld through the plain economics right now, today. Women, those we, you know, colloquially call women, right, earn at max up to 84 cents on every dollar that a man earns. Uh, trans folks earn up to at max 61 cents, especially if they are black trans women, they earn up to 52 cents on the dollar. And I believe it is even less uh, in some cases for other denominations and distinctive groups of people. Patriarchy is upheld through uh, the fact that when someone rapes someone, right, oftentimes a male raping a woman, they get away with it. 
because they got a jury of men. They got a judge that's a male. And they got a system known as patriarchy that is upheld through all of this. Patriarchy is a system which needs to come down right along with class society. The contradictions that exist between those who give birth and those who don't. Again, those which we might colloquially call men and women. That contradiction is a blatantly important one. But as Marxists, and this is the last point I want to make, we understand that it is not the primary contradiction. In an interview that Michael Parenti does, which probably canceled podcast put up, which you need to check out, also go check out the Red Nation, Red Power Hour, for a lot of discussions on these topics having to do with traditional governments, matriarchy, uh, proletarian feminism, indigenous feminism, etc. All of these things are incredibly important to understand the topics which we're discussing and we will continue to discuss because again, this is just a one-on-one episode and I'm running out of time here and breath. Anyways, the last point I want to make is the primary contradiction is between those who own and those who labor. The primary contradiction is between the ruling class and the working class, those who own the means of production and those who work for a portion of the means of subsistence. So because of this, the economic base forms the superstructure, which is patriarchy, but they are interrelated. One does not supersede the other as in saying its importance or that, you know, oh, it's cool that you think that, you know, those who give birth are oppressed, but in fact, all people are oppressed who work. And now we're just going to pile over or, you know, wash over the struggles of women, trans folks, non-binary folks, and, you know, non-men, those who give birth. No, we're not doing that shit here. But the point is that the liberation comes from ultimately overthrowing class society, overthrowing capitalist society, getting rid of a structure that believes that those who have must be allowed to dominate over those who do not. And the continued doing so ultimately is what leads to those who have being able to dominate over those who have not. We have to overthrow the society that allows for a few to dominate over the many, especially the few who take advantage of and exploit the many for their power, wealth, and control. We need a revolution in order to overthrow patriarchy, in order to overthrow the class society, in order to get rid of capitalism and to make our way through socialism, the first stage of communism, which allows for contradictions and antagonisms that will still exist within the working class and between the working class and the former ruling class to be resolved through the active participation of the masses of people in the dictatorship of the proletariat, which is the organization of the many over the few instead of the few over the many. Only this is what can get us away from patriarchy. Only this is what can and get us out from this capitalist class system. And if we want to do that, when we, then we have to organize. And when I say organize, I don't mean just talk. I don't just mean join a nice little three-letter organization that does a theory read. I mean join an organization that's militantly developing structures, systems, and ideas that are revolutionary and are going to give people the encouragement, the tools, the knowledge, and the support to overthrow this society, to dedicate themselves and constitute themselves into a force capable of removing the ruling class as it exists today and placing firmly the class of working and exploited people people into the positions of power so that they could administrate over society as they deem fit as the individuals within that society who will be affected by the governance of that society. 
I hope that all made sense, my friends, and I hope you are all well. This is all I have for you today. Please stay safe, stay revolutionary. We're going to do more discussion on this topic. I want to learn much more. So please, anything you felt that was incorrect or inaccurate, I want you to correct me. I want you to email me at indefensiveliberation at gmail.com, no caps, no spaces, or DM me on TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. I want to know what I missed. I want to know what was almost there but needed some fine-tuning. I want to know some texts to read. I want to know podcasts about this shit. I want to know YouTube videos and YouTube creators. I want to know what it is that I can do to actually begin changing this. I want to know what organizations to join. And I want to know what you're doing. And I want to know how we can tag together to do something about this. So please... Two things before you go. One, the holiday season is around the corner. If for whatever reason you feel especially jolly and in the spirit, please go over to probably canceled podcasts, scroll down in their information and find the sex trade exit fund fundraiser through a firm. You can either directly donate to that organization or you can check out the link to the merch store, which the money, the proceeds will go to Uh, people's ability to exit the sex trade in Hawaii. On top of that, if you would also please go over to uh, the Red Nation podcast or Red Media and donate to their Patreon, as well as going over to the Bands of Turtle Island and donating to their Patreon. Uh, They recently found out they will become a father, and this is exciting news. They, along with Red Media, put out great content about indigenous history, indigenous socialism, communism, feminism, etc. You need to be listening to it. You need to be decolonizing not just your mind, but the world around you. And in order to do that, you have to understand how to do so from the people who they themselves know how to do it the best, because they've been resistant, they've been fighting, they've been decolonizing, and they've been struggling for generations and generations longer than any of us have been even talking about this so folks thank you for listening please have a great day have a great holidays we'll be talking to you soon stay safe stay revolutionary and we'll see you next time peace